Well, you know, I thought about trying to get all the way through chapter 50, but I don't know. And so I think maybe we'll just try and finish 49. Uh, we left off at Zebulun, finished up with Judah last week, going through the 12 tribes. And uh, we've read through it a lot, but I suppose we can, just to get you warmed up a little bit. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell by the, the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw the rest was good and, and the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. And then Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. And I have waited for your salvation, O Lord." Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at the last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose, and he uses beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall, and the archers have bitterly grieved him shot at him and hated him, but his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd and the stone of Israel, by the God of your fathers who will help you, and by Almighty, the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, Blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel and this is what their father spoke to them and he blessed them and he blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them, said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that's the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And then uh, just the rest of that paragraph is then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. So Zebulun, kind of an interesting little piece of information on this. Uh, he's the tenth of the sons of of um, Jacob, but he's mentioned here now, uh, let me see, Simeon, Levi, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and now at number five spot, he starts blessing Zebulun. Uh, no, no big significance to that, but uh, it's just interesting that's out of order from the, the oldest to the youngest. Um, but it says he will dwell by the haven of the sea, and he'll be a haven for ships, and, and uh it borders Sidon. If you look these days at the maps and the geography of that whole area, 
um, Zebulun's in the middle. It's landlocked. Whether he neglected to uh, take all the land that he was given and who uh, Moses and, and Joshua assigned uh, and the Lord assigned as they went into the land, uh, whatever the case may be, um, it appears Zebulun never followed up to take all the land that belonged to him because he never made it to the sea. Um, and uh, he never bordered Sidon. Um, and you can look on these maps and you'll see that. But, uh, and then again, who knows what uh, these maps were they were drawn from other than the best that they could glean from the history and from going through the, the Old Testament and all of that. But um, anyways, uh, and so it does say that um, in Judges one thirty, it says he did not drive out the Canaanites, and so they ended up dwelling among them. And we'll see that about a number of the tribes in Israel, um, where they, when they went into the Promised Land, they failed to take the land that was given to them. Um, either they just got lazy or they got uh, you know, complacent. But in Judges 12, um, there was a judge that came out of the tribe of Zebulun, uh, a Zebulonite, he was called, his name was Elon. Uh, and that's Judges 12, verses 11 and 12. So um, there are a few other passages through scriptures that deal with all of these tribes, obviously many for some of them. And as you go through all the prophets and the, the kings, you'll see a lot more on all these guys. But the things that stand out um, just as they came into the land, verses 14 through 15, Issachar. It says, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching down between two burdens, he bowed down, uh, but stayed down, and he rested there. And it ended up leading to slavery, is what it kind of indicates. If you turn to First Chronicles 12, there's an interesting little thing about um, Zebulun. Or, I'm sorry, Is- Issachar. We're on to Issachar now. Um, and just looking at uh, verse 32 um, in First Chronicles 12, Again, David is talking about his army that he had at Hebron from all the different tribes and the sons of these tribes and uh, descendants and leading up uh, through half-tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim, and so forth. In verse 32, of the sons of Issachar, and notice this, it said, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. What an interesting thing to say. You know, their chiefs were 200 and their brethren were uh, at their command. And so uh, whatever occurred that they did not take all the land that belonged to them when it came to when David was king. And as uh, as you know, when uh, Solomon was king, he ruled over that whole area. And um, whether there were Canaanites still living there or not, the kingdom belonged to Israel uh, at Solomon's time and through David's time as well. Um, he Through his lifetime, he took many, took many of these territories that... They neglected to take leading up to that. But it says, these men had understanding of the times. What an interesting thing to say. And to know, even at that point, what all Israel should be doing. Here's Issachar. Um, The word understanding there in the the Old Testament uh, Hebrew is discernment. And it's having the faculties to to know what to do, how to act. And you kind of think of these things, you know, when, when you're making decisions or when you're going through what you got to go through and, and uh, people are with you and you're tied together and, and you know how to lead, you know how to, to take them through. 
um, knowing what Israel ought to do, it says about them. Now, as far as understanding the times, again, understanding is discernment. Times is any events, experiences, fortunes they came across, and occasions. And so it seems, if you put it all together, uh, that Issachar had rested at one point uh, to the point of giving up, to the point of going into slavery, becoming a band of slaves. And from that experience, though, they come to a place where they're in leadership and come to a place where they have this discernment on, on how to act in, in these times and what to do. This reminded me of a thing called Titler's Cycle. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have seen this before, but it's kind of interesting. If you want to put it up on the screen, um, they picked one out that has a, a, basically this cycle. And however you want to find yourself, let's say we're beginning at, uh, at, uh, in slavery, you're in bondage. And many times bondage leads to calling out on the Lord. And that leads to a spiritual faith or just faith, calling out, looking for answers. And as you do, you find courage. And as you have courage, then you begin to fight and you begin to come and seek out your liberty. And so with courage then comes liberty. And then with liberty comes abundance. You're free and you have the ability to, to prosper and comes abundance. Abundance begins to find a little greed coming in there and there's selfishness. And then after you're selfish for a while, you got everything you need, like uh, Issachar did. He kind of lays down under the, between the two burdens and finds rest, and he gets complacent. And then after he's complacent, then it's who cares? You know, it's apathy. You know, everything is is uh, just whatever I get, I get. And no matter what happens, I'm just going to not try anymore. And they're just apathetic. Well, then there comes dependence, because if you're going to be apathetic, then... Um, Somebody else is going to be doing for you, and they're going to own you, and you become slaves again. You go back into bondage. Now, you've probably seen this before. The very first one basically has just five things. Liberty, complacency, dependence, tyranny, and then revolution, and then back to liberty. And it's this cycle that goes on and on. And you can find it in different societies. It might take a 1,000 years to get through it. It might take 200 years to get through it. Uh, we have we're living in the prime example these days that we're living in, where we're we're finding because of the last few decades of complacency and apathy, and now so many people are utterly dependent and they want to be utterly dependent on everybody else to do things for them, and in our case it's the government, you know, and in, in our but it's like that around the world, the more and everybody's heard about this big government, everybody's heard about you know. Uh, where you, the more you have somebody else do for you, the less freedom you have for yourself. The more you do for yourself, the more free you are. And so, um, you know, freedom is not free. It, uh, people lay down their lives for freedom and uh, have given us freedom. And it's just a simple lesson. And I, I, it just reminded me of that from looking at Issachar. But this cycle is going to end, you know, this time around the days that we're living in, the whole world is becoming dependent on, you know, whoever wants to allow them to have what they have in order that we can protect the globe from warming up too much, to, to keep us around, to uh, protect the world from haters and all. And so we're surrendering all kinds of freedoms, surrendering all kinds of rights, uh, human rights, um, just life 
to these people that for the sake of you know worshiping the world and worshiping earth and trying to give i mean isn't uh, prince charles trying to give the earth a a rights i mean so what i can't remember what's called now i didn't even look it up it just comes to mind where here's prince charles he's trying to uh or i'm sorry king charles these days right i made the you know Anyways, and so here he is, uh, basically wants to, uh, the Magna Carta, but now it's the Earth, Terra Carta. In other words, the earth has rights, and we can't infringe on their rights. Well, I didn't really intend to talk about politics or nothing like that. But anyway, it is a cycle that goes through. But this time around, the whole world is against God. This time around, there's not going to be anything after the bondage it's going to be a war against heaven, and Jesus is going to come, and he's going to judge. Uh, this time around, he's going to break this cycle with his righteous judgment. He's going to break this cycle with his eternal kingdom, because we are in the last days, like Noah, like Lot, and all. And so, that's uh, if you want to look it up, it's called the uh, um, Titler, Titler's Cycle. It's T-Y-T-L-E-R-S, Cycle. And it's just an interesting uh, tool for, you know, maybe teaching your kids uh, how to uh, avoid finding themselves in, in slavery and dependent on others instead of being independent. So verse 16 and 17 back in Genesis, uh, Dan. Now back in Genesis 30, Dan was named by Rachel. Rachel was childless. Leah had four kids already. And um, then, uh, you know, she saw that she was barren. And so, remember, she gave Jacob her maid, Bilhah. And her maid, Bilhah's firstborn was Dan. Rachel named um, him Dan because God had heard her. And he gave her a son by Bilhah. And then it's interesting, in verse 18, um, it says, I have waited for your salvation. Now, first of all, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels so its riders fall backward. Um, you know, that a horse is the strength of an army back then. You know, the, we've got all kinds of things these days, but back then, the horse was the strength of an army. You know, everybody's on foot. They, they could uh, plow through the front lines and and uh, it was just a, a different time, and the horse had the strength. Now here's Dan, has this ability to um, stand up against that. And even it says that he would eventually judge among his brothers, and that he would call, cause these attackers to fall back, um, and all that. And so being a sniper. Now, no doubt, it was Rachel's heart regarding Dan even though God still planned to give her Joseph and Benjamin from her own body. But Dan was her uh, firstborn just by her maid. And so God heard her. Now, for salvation I wait. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. Verse 18. The word salvation there is help, deliverance, victory, welfare. You know, these days we think of salvation being saved from our sins. Well, it's interesting because... it has that connotation even here in the, in the Hebrew. Finding yourself in good health, prosperous, comfortable, as a part of a condition of being forgiven sin. 
it's not just salvation that you can hunker down and you know hang out because you're you're safe from everything that's going on around you. It's not that kind of salvation. It's that it's, it has to do with being right with the Lord. He says, for your salvation, I wait, O Lord. The word wait there, for what is expected to come together or you're expected to meet up with, um, intently look for, and it really means a confident hope with patience. Um, so for his help, for his deliverance, for his dealing with our sin and, and giving us that life back where we're supposed to be healthy, prosperous, and comfortable, for that we're going to wait, and we expect it. We're looking for it. It's a patient hope. Now, again, uh, Rachel's heart towards Dan was just that, uh, you know, he had heard her. Now, Jacob gives this blessing to Dan as a judge among his brethren, that he would be like a viper who would cause these guys to fall back. But there's an application here. And um, looking at Psalm 25, because, you know, you've always heard how important it is to wait on the Lord for, for um, well, we'll look at it for a lot of things. Um, you know, we worship an invisible God. You know, we are in this situation where we can't see, we can't touch, we can't necessarily audibly hear, and yet we believe, yet his Holy Spirit works in us and confirms in our lives. We see, you know, like Jesus said, you can't see the Spirit, but you can see the leaves move in a tree tree when the wind blows because the wind is blowing and having an effect on the leaves. The Holy Spirit's moving through our lives and it's having an effect on our lives. We're not doing the things we used to do. We are doing the things we should do. Uh, we find a love in our hearts for people that we would have probably never loved. We hang out with people we probably never hung out with. And uh, there's just things happening in our lives that only God can do. And that's good to give him the glory for that. But we're waiting on the Lord. Um, in Psalm 25, the first three verses, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed, and let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed, and let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without a cause. He's waiting for triumph over his enemies, that his enemies would not put him to shame. Um, There are those that can't wait to see us stumble, can't wait to see us fall. You know, we were the light in their lives, and they don't like it bothers them and um, the Lord has been using us Um, you know they mock us for claiming to be a Christian why well because they want to continue in their sin they they want to uh, not be accountable for those things which the Lord would hold them accountable they don't want to judge in their lives we're not their judge we're not judging them but we shine light on them by by just being Christians and walking before the Lord and uh, just talking about the Lord to them, and they think well, all of a sudden, well, you're holier than thou. No, I'm a sinner like you are. And, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm the chiefest of sinners, and yet I know who the Savior is. And let me tell you who the Savior is. And yet the people that uh, want to continue in, they, in, in their sin, they can't wait to see us stumble. And so David's praying, you know, let them be ashamed. And verse 4 and 5 it says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait 
all day. But we do want to know God's way, God's path, and we want him to lead us in his truth. And we do wait for his salvation. But what is this salvation based on? If you look at verse 6, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. It's based on him and his character. For they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. God is the one who's full of mercy and grace. We're the ones that are full of shame and sin and just the whatever words you want to put on it, the worst of the worst, the filthy, the perverse, you know, if you're willing to accept it and admit it, what kind of sinner you are, that is what kind of sinner we are. There's no good in us, none whatsoever. But it's for his sake. Why? Because this is who he is. This is, he's good, he's upright. Um, the sin, or I'm sorry, the, for the sake of his goodness, he teaches us if we're willing and humble enough to let him. Because again, he'll teach sinners in the way, his way. In verse 9 through 11, the humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches the way, his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. He will not force us, you know, to do what he wants us to. He will not force his way on us. But if we let him, he will guide us, he will teach us, it, and, and it's the humble. It, it takes a humility. It's one thing to just say, okay, whatever, God, and it's another thing to say, oh, Lord, how badly I need you, how much I need you, and uh, to be humble about it, he says. And he will show us what justice really is. If we want to walk in his path, we'll see his mercy, and we'll see truth along that path. If we don't really want to walk along it, and all we want to do is you know, be proud and think that we're doing all fine by ourselves, well, then we're not going to see that. And uh, we won't see his mercy. We won't see truth because we're full of ourselves. It's only until you humble yourselves and that, that you begin to see how much he's done for us and how much he loves us. Um, and we'll see that it's really for his own name's sake. In verse 7 it says, For your goodness' sake, O Lord. And in verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord. He does these things for his sake, for his love for us and all. And so it's, um, you know, and he says, for, for my sin is great. Uh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Nobody ever sins just a little. When you sin, it's sin. You've crossed the line. The line is deserving of death. Nobody sins just a little bit. Um, so verses 12 through 14. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. God chooses it. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. It's interesting that, uh, you know, as believers, it's not always true that we prosper necessarily in the things of this world. But certainly people who are 
you know, conscientious and who fear the Lord and do rightly, naturally things work out for them. They don't steal, they don't rob, they don't get caught, they don't go to jail because they're not stealing and robbing. And so it's a, a, there is a certain amount of blessing and, and a certain amount of prosperity. And contentment comes with that as well. But the biggest thing of, of all of this is that, you know, our kingdom, or his kingdom, our lives um, are going to be with him in his kingdom and all. And so the lives that we live here, you know, whether we prosper or not, um, we do have uh, prosperity eternally. That's beyond imagination. So in verses uh, 12 through 14, if you have that fear and reverence and respect towards God, then you're going to desire what he's going to teach you. But it's going to be what he chooses. A lot of times we want what we want, but he knows what's best for us and he loves us. And, you know, he will choose and he will give us his will for our lives. And it says, what is the secret and what is this covenant? It's interesting. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show his covenant. Well, the secret is that wherever you find yourself, if you humbly seek him, he will always show you mercy and he will and love and direction and the way you should go. Um, people who want to find out secrets a lot of times want to find it out for their own profit and their own gain. I mean, if only we knew the future about, you know, Intel or Microsoft, you know, 30 years ago and we'd have put down what we could, here we'd be if we knew those secrets. Well, that's not the secret that he's talking about. He's talking about this, it's a kind of humility that wants what he wants. It's a kind of desire for his love and his mercy and that he would show us the direction we would go. Well, that covenant is that, that covering for the sin. That's the, the salvation from our sin by his provision, the pardon of sin, and the remembering of our sin no more. Well, that's the covenant. The covenant in his blood. The covenant in his body. You know, broken for us. His blood shed for us. And, um, but always the covenant had to do with his promises and keeping his covenant with Abraham with uh, Isaac and Jacob, with the children of Israel. And then now, eventually, we'll see through David, his throne, his covenant with David, and the new covenant that's in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It always has to do with him keeping his promises to reconcile us back to himself. And so, um, that's the covenant. Everyone else would seek to shame and surround with cruelty and treachery. But, you know, the secret, we look for his mercy because we know we're sinners. In verses 15 through 22 and Psalm 25, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Why? For I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of their troubles. You think God doesn't know what you deal with as believers on any given day? Oh, he knows. He, he sees everything that we go through. He sees everything that go through our hearts and minds when you know, people are treating us poorly or 
uh, whatever's happening to us, whatever even maybe is just coming into our hearts and minds that we have to wrestle with and struggle with. He knows we fail. He knows we get stuck. He knows our feet get stuck in a net. And we're alone, talking about here in these verses, afflicted, in trouble, trouble in our hearts, even in the distress and pain of our own sin. And all of this in front of our enemies. All of this in front of the people that are around us. And he says, which are many. Everybody hears about it. Everybody hates us and is cruel about it and seeking our own shame and our defeat. And again, we talked about the enemies. These are the ones that are enemies of the Lord because they, you know, we, we want to live a, 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 as lights in this world. And as we do, it offends. And as it does, they hate us. They treat us cruelly. And then we go through these things and God knows what we're going through and it's even in front of his enemies or and our enemies. But even we can begin to walk upright with integrity because of what he says in verse 21. You know, for I wait on you. We're waiting on him. We're not waiting for anything necessarily to happen to the, the enemies. We're not necessarily waiting for anything to happen that's going to change the circumstances in our lives some things are just going to be stuck with till the day we go to be with the Lord. But integrity and uprightness, they can preserve you because we're waiting on him. We're waiting on his kingdom to come. And so um, we're waiting for our Redeemer. Without turning there, Psalm 39, waiting while faced with the wicked because of our frailty. It says our lives are but a vapor. And it says, what do we wait for? Delivery from my transgressions which brought God's heavy hand on my life. That's Psalm 39. And Psalm 130, waiting for his mercy, hoping in his word, and uh, everything he said. Not some theory or lie based on the concepts of worldly men and women, but what the Lord has said. And that's what we wait on that and put our hope in. We're waiting for his mercy. In Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. The eyes of all look to him to provide for them, those that wait expectantly for him. He is near to those who call on him, but he will judge the wicked. If you want to turn to Proverbs 20, the Lord is good to all. It's well within his power to just you know, say the word and uh, the wicked would be vapor, no more. The people that trouble us and the people that... Uh, you know, give us as much grief. It, it's nothing for him to just say the word and heal up our diseases and heal up the things that we deal with, the, the sore bones and whatever we're, you know. And yet we endure because we're waiting. Um, and, you know, as we do so, it's wise. Verse 22, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Simple little um, proverb there, but um, we need to wait on him not to go after those that are being evil towards us or to, to pursue evil. Now, certainly, you know, if we see something, we need to report something. You know, if we're eyewitnesses, that's our responsibility. Uh, I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, amongst ourselves here necessarily, but, well, certainly then too if it's bad, but... If it's gossip, then who wants to hear that? But when it comes to being in society, when it comes to, to having a chance to change or have a, an effect on bringing 
somebody, justice, who's being harmed, we need to speak up and all. Now, not that kind of social justice. I'm talking about just saying what's going on and let the laws of the land take, take place. It's a weird time that we're in because, you know, we know what true justice is. The Lord knows what justice is. It's got nothing to do with society. It's got everything to do with the hearts of men and the laws of the land. But um, So Proverbs 20, it's wise not to take matter into your own hands. Regarding evil, God will recompense. God will repay. What's he waiting for? Well, we're waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do, and he will. Let God do what he says. In Isaiah 40, and just verses 27 through 31, Remember Isaiah 40 is the beginning, um, verse, uh, chapters 40 through 46, when God begins to declare his faithfulness to Israel and that uh, his love for them and he's going to restore them and restore the kingdom. And then the rest of the Isaiah after that is his kingdom to come. And, uh, but just uh, verses 27 through 31, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. In other words, they don't think he can see him, and they want justice. And, you know, the Lord's not seeing what I'm going through. And he says in verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall, be utter, shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they will walk and they will not faint. Those that wait on the Lord. You know, sometimes we expend all of our strength doing things that the Lord wants, or the Lord wants to do he, he's not wanting us to do these things and we do it in our own strength and so the young guys you know he gives examples here even the strongest of the young men will get weary but the lord who created everything he doesn't faint he doesn't get tired so we look to him for our strength without turning there micah 7 6 and 7 for the son dishonors the father the daughter rises up against her mother the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law the man's enemies are the men of his own house God is the source of salvation and light. You know, we, we oftentimes look to those who are closest to us and the closest many times let us down. He says, therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and God will hear me. So even when your best friends, closest family become your enemies, this is, you know, he is the one who will hear you and save you. Wait on God for your salvation so right here, right now, what exactly is it that we're waiting for? If you want to turn to Romans 8, you know, it seems like we just want to go home. We're just waiting for the Lord to come back, right? Well, there's a lot to that. And we know that uh, he says he will, except he's patient towards uh, this world and the lost in this world. He desires that none would perish and all would come to, to repentance, he says. Um, and so when that last one who's willing to come to repentance comes in, well, that seems to be what the Bible says is when he's going to come. And so, you know, uh, it seems to me the way the world is going, wicked is getting wickeder, and the righteous are getting more righteous. P 
people are being called out of their compromised lives if they claim to be Christians. It seems as though they're either getting busted or they're coming coming back around and forsaking that sin. It seems like the, the evil that's in the world is getting more evil. Uh, college kids coming around and saying they got no problem killing kids after they're born. You know, they, they don't care if they uh, if abortion takes place right up into and even slightly after birth. Um, they don't care if uh, the... The older people are kind of put away into the farm there and maybe gotten rid of just like that because they're just dragging now in society. They call it eugenics um, and euthanasia. Um, again, so Romans 8, what are we waiting for? 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, in other words, emptiness. In other words, it's never going to be complete. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because of the creation itself also will be delivered up from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of us, the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And he goes on to talk about us being the first. Well, let's keep going two more. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, earnestly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for, for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it and with perseverance. So we creation itself, everything around us, the atoms, the animals, um, the universe, it's waiting to see what you and I are going to be, turn out to be like in the Lord. It's literally waiting to see what bodies are going to be like that aren't full of sin, that people, souls, you and I are going to be like that won't have corruption that won't grow old and die, will have new bodies. They can't wait to see. All of creation is waiting to see what it was meant to be, and that's what the Lord's going to make us when we go to be with him. We're going to be uh, new bodies, no corruption, no death, no sin. And we groan for that. All creation groans for that glorious thing to take place, and we groan for that glorious home. Yeah, we're waiting, and we've got to be patient. It's hard to be patient, because here we are, and we wish that we could be there. But, um, you know, we don't see it yet, he says, but we eagerly hope for. That's what this is. We can't wait, but we're eagerly hoping for. Even though it means waiting with perseverance, he says. The last thing he says is perseverance. And that's just hanging in there, even though it's hard to. If you want to go to First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 1, just a couple pages to the right. Verses 4 through 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in that day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 
by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're waiting to see Jesus. We're waiting for him to be revealed, but we're waiting to find out that we're going to be blameless because I, I, I just don't know what that's like. I can't relate to being blameless. All I can think of is what I did wrong. And so it's, we're waiting for that. We're waiting for that, uh, him to be revealed, and when he's revealed, we'll be like him. And that just is, goes way over my head beyond my comprehension. But we're, we'll be blameless. We're going to be without any kind of shame. And it says God's faithful to do this. We're waiting, but he is so faithful. Galatians 5, a couple more pages, or maybe a few to the right. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. Remember we were talking earlier about freedom and liberty? Well, we do have liberty in Christ Jesus. He did make us free. But not free so that we can go out and keep sinning. People always think freedom means so we can do whatever we want. Freedom means that we no longer have to be under that yoke. It's a slavery. It's a bondage to be in sin. In verse uh, 1 through 6, Stand fast, therefore, in that liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, he's talking about these guys legalistically trying to come under the law, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, you're trying to add to the finished work of the cross. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. Good luck with that. You have become estranged from Christ. You know, you who attempt to be justified by the law. And you've fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait in hope for the righteousness that's by faith. What else are we waiting on? Well, we're waiting on that righteousness that we're going to be. And we're waiting on it in great hope. And we're waiting on it eagerly. And you just as much as me, I can't wait to the day that I don't sin anymore, that I'm righteous and I don't have the temptation anymore, that I don't feel this corruption in me that, that is drawn away. I'm waiting for that righteousness that comes by faith, you know, and that's found in Jesus Christ. And he's saying right here, it's not found in works. It's not found in keeping the law. It's found on waiting for him. And that through the Spirit, he says, we eagerly wait. In Philippians... Verses three seventeen through 21. You know, some are waiting for their own works and their own good deeds to be recognized by God so he'll welcome them into heaven someday. They're adding to the cross. They're seeking to uh, say, Jesus, you know, thank you for all that you did on the cross. There's a few things you missed. I need to help you out here a little bit. It's foolishness. Um, and some are waiting for him to change us to make us spotless and we are as we stand before him now in in Christ Jesus we are spotless we are blameless and we're just waiting for that to take uh, to be um, for us to go to be with him for us to take us out of this world and give us those new bodies that are not corruptible in Philippians three seventeen through 21 brethren join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Writing to the Philippians, telling them, you know, do what we do. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, 
for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things under himself. We're waiting for that home. We're waiting for heaven. And we're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for that. Hebrews 9.28, you don't have to turn there. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, in other words, we're waiting on him, watching and waiting, you know, shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Can't wait. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we wait for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so we watch and we wait. And in the meantime, we walk in the things he's given us to do. We don't have to wait for his love. He gives us his love. All we have to do is ask. You know, if you've asked, you've got such a problem maybe with somebody, maybe you've got somebody that's given you so much grief, or maybe you just are living in a circumstance that you just can't handle it for some reason or another, ask God to give you his love for that person. And he does. That's happened in my life. I know it has. People that I just, I couldn't get past. I was stuck uh, trying to deal with this circumstance in my own strength until I found just no other answer except to keep asking him, please, Lord, give me your love for that person because I know you love them. If you love me, you've got to love them. And, and he does. He, you know, we're waiting for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so we watch and we wait. And in the meantime, you know, we wait. But, you know, he will give us that love. So, back to Genesis for a few more and a few minutes. And verse 19 talks about Gad. Gad was one of the two and a half tribes that did not cross over the Jordan. You know, um, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We'll read as we go into Exodus and on. that They stayed on the, the east side of the Jordan River and would not cross over out of fear. They ended up at the east uh, of the Sea of Galilee, let me see, along the Golan Heights. So they were one of the first, if you think about that, then that would be attacked. You know, when, when people were coming to attack the land. Now, um, it talks in Joshua chapter 22, tells of their departing of the Lord and ceasing to fear God, the tribe of Gad. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we also remember, and we see Jesus, remember when he went into the land of the Gadarenes, the Gads, the Gadites, and they had no regard for the law. They were keeping herds of unkosher pigs, if you remember. They were keeping keeping uh, pigs there, and, and so it's uh, borne out as um, he would say in verse 19, you know, Gad, a troop shall tramp upon them, but he shall triumph at the last. And so as they did uh, begin to, you know, he would go to war. Uh, all those tribes, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, when anybody would attack Israel, they made the promise to go into the land and fight with the land the rest of the, the children of Israel, for them. And so they did triumph with them in the end. Um, verse 20, Asher, the other son of Zilpah, Leah's maid with Gad. They were both, those two were 
the children of Zilpah. And uh, Asher means happiness. Um, not much is said about Asher uh, a little bit. There, if we if we really start getting into a lot of the the prophets and all, but First Chronicles simply says that they were also among the best in battle and experts in war. And um, it's funny, Jacob would say, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. I don't know of what that means. But, you know, he would, uh, I guess, uh, he, he was a baker. Um, and uh, riches bakery, it shall be rich. So it was riches bakery. No, but, uh, so yeah, it, it, we see it in, in First Chronicles. Now, I would say this too, um, Deuteronomy 33 closes out uh, um, uh, and it talks about all these tribes and their blessing from Moses. Also in Judges um, verse, uh, chapter 5, Deborah, uh, who is one of the judges in Israel, writes a song and, uh, and describes and blesses many ways all of these tribes of Israel as well. And you can see Asher in there in both those um, songs, Song of Moses and the Song of uh, Deborah. Um, Naphtali, in verse 21, says, uh, Naphtali's a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Uh, the second son by Bilhah for Rachel. And so, and he was named for her wrestling with Leah. In other words, you know, I'm still wrestling with my sister. And uh, this was before she had had Joseph and Benjamin. They were among those, uh, the Naphtalis, Naphtalites, uh, they were among those who failed to enter, or I'm sorry, to entirely drive out the Canaanites from their possession. And again, First Chronicles 33. What did I say Deuteronomy? I meant First Chronicles. Uh, Moses blessed the 12 tribes, and then Judges, Deborah sings. Um, the the they all rose up together when it came down to it. The tribes all joined together when they had to fight against other enemies of Israel, and they would defend um, Israel during the period of the judges in Israel. Well, then verses 22 through 26, we have Joseph. It says, Joseph is a um, fruitful. Now, he was wounded, but he remained strong, though he was hated. Now, this happened when his brothers hated him, and they would also be one of his... Uh, it would also be one of his distinctives as a tribe in Israel. Um, but uh, God made him strong among the tribes of Israel. His, the strength of the mighty God of Jacob, that strength of God that would bring the shepherd and the stone of Israel, not from the tribe of Joseph, but by the same powerful strength of God that Jacob declares. Um, if you want to turn to Psalm 80, um, the word... Um, Shepherd of Israel means over the flocks, obviously a shepherd, but it means a ruler and also a teacher. And the word stone of Israel, large or small, it's for building. It's building materials. It's for chiseling out tablets um, and all. So it's a stone. It's, a, it's a, something solid. Now, this only can fit with verses 25 and 26 as you read through Back in Genesis, you can stay there in Psalm 80, but uh, by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the, be the breast and the womb, 
Blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who is separated from his brothers. He's talking about that strength by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So it's the strength of God, not Joseph, if, you know, to avoid confusion, that the shepherd, the stone of Israel, would come from the tribe of Joseph, because it did not. He came from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah did. And so we see that here in, in Psalm 80, uh, the, just the first three verses. Now Ephraim is one of Joseph's sons, and so keep that in mind. And so we have, uh, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Well, that can only be one. Shepherd of Israel is the Lord God. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. And so what he's talking about, Ephraim and Joseph's son, along with Judah, became the most prominent, powerful tribes in Israel, and later, under a divided kingdom, would fight against Judah. Uh, Ephraim also, though, failed to entirely remove um, the Canaanites from their possession. In verse 27, back in Genesis, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. So Benjamin also, until the period of Judges, um, you know, was there, but in, you, you can read in Judges 19 through 21 the story of Benjamin. Um, Benjamin became perverse. Um, and if you'd like to jump ahead and read that for a little homework, by all means, go ahead. Uh, but it came to the point where the rest of Israel had to go in and wipe them out. And to the point where they had to go and find uh, wives for them because they were so wiped out as a tribe in Israel. Um, and... Uh, so you can read that story. They were almost too few to continue as a tribe. And, uh, but verse, uh, or in, uh, they did not also drive out the Jebusites, even to the day David finally came and took Zion, if you remember, in Psalm 2. Um, and throughout the early Psalms, we studied Zion and the Jebusite city that David came and took. Now, uh, that was part of, Ephraim's, or I'm sorry, Benjamin's territory. And he should have driven out these Jebusites, these Canaanites. And, uh, but he did not. So the first king in Israel, though, Saul, he was a Benjaminite. And also the Apostle Paul was a Benjaminite, Romans 11 and Philippians 3. So back in verse 28, to finish things up, and if you want, you can put a finger in Mark chapter 12, Jacob blessed him, and the New American Standard Version says what was appropriate for each one. Uh, Jacob blessed them, each to what was appropriate to him, fitting for each one. These 12 became a nation, and like we talked about a little bit last week, but these 12 were also individuals, you know, and God is able to deal with a whole nation. God's also able to deal wholly and completely because of his love for each individual human being. And I guess like I like to say, his mercy and grace are available to every single person who will trust in him. 
And I like to say there's as many stories as there are human beings, and every single one of them is different. And yet the, the Word of God applies to every single one of them the same. And even though Jacob maybe made the mistake and loved Joseph more than all of his other brothers, gave him the coat of many colors, and blessed him doubly over, if you look at, you know, when he studied through Joseph just now, blessings and blessings and blessings. You know, Jacob loved jo- uh, Joseph more than the, than the rest. Well, God's not like that. God loves every single one of us the most. How do you know? Well, Jacob gave Joseph all these extra things. Well, the Father in heaven gave us everything. Each one of us, he gave his son on the cross who died for our sins. There's no special anybody. There's no one who's favored over anybody else in all of humanity. And that he gave his only son for every single one of us. There's, there's no favoritism, you know. But we are autonomous individuals. We're sovereign human beings. We can make up our own mind. We're created in the image of God. And that means we have our own self-will. Um, and we're going to do what we want. And it's up to us to respond to that love. Those who truly trust in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation through the cross, not through their own works, well, they're going to live through him, through with him, through all eternity. And those that deny Jesus... Well, everybody lives forever in one of two places. You know, there's, there's heaven, there's an eternal glory, there's the bodies that we'll have that all creation is waiting for, groaning for, that will be without corruption, without sin. And there's a lake of fire. There's eternal torment for those who just simply won't receive the, the gift because they would rather rebel against God. They'd rather not admit that they need a Savior. And so in the final verses... Um, you know, uh, Jacob charged him with all these things. He says, I'll take up my, you know, I've got this piece of land Abraham had, so take up my bones and bury me up there. And, and uh, so we'll read in the next chapter that they did that. Um, but Mark 12, 18 through 27, the last thing he says, there is, you know, Jacob was gathered to his people. And, you know, when you, when you die, many would say there's annihilation. In other words, you just don't exist anymore. Or they would say there's a, uh, you just turn back into mud, you turn back into dirt. You know, we're just bodies, we're just you know, tubes and, and bones and sticks and all sorts of things. But you know, the fact is that God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. And he is known and wants to be known when he... When he you know, approached Moses at the burning bush. He says, tell them I am who that I am. Tell them I want to be known as, and everybody should know me, that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus would say, and, and these Pharisees were, or Sadducees were, they didn't believe in the resurrection. I don't know why you'd want to have religion if you don't believe in the, re- the resurrection. What, what for? If there's no resurrection, we're wasting our time here we should be I don't know doing whatever you want but they um, uh, back in 18 some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they're asking him saying teach teacher Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother now there were seven brothers they come up with this hypothetical although I'm sure there might have been something. 
The first took a wife, and, uh, and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, and leaving no offspring. And the third, and all the way up to the seventh, had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection that they don't believe in, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Well, Jesus said unto them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. And boy, it's going to be the power of God for resurrection for us. And when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise. Now he's getting down to what they really are going after. Is there a resurrection at all? And, but concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who we just read, went to be with his people. He was gathered to his people. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore are greatly mistaken. You know, God is the God of the living. Keep watching and keep waiting on Jesus. And waiting is hard, but when he comes, he's going to be right on time. And I'm at my time, and then some. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And um, thank you for the chance to get together still and meet and uh, go through your word together. And as always, I pray, Lord, whatever things were of you would just bear fruit in our lives and whatever's not would be forgotten and that we could just continue to draw close to you and look to you and not look to any men. Pray that you'd continue to give us a hunger and a thirst for your word to uh, just let our hearts burn within us as you promised it would if we just seek you out in the scriptures. And Lord, just to do the things that you've given us to do, that we would not just be hearers of the word and and just listening and, and taking in a Bible study, but that you'd let it change our lives and that we'd be doers of the word and just do the things you've asked us to do, whatever you set in front of our face. So we lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.